sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. No sense No mercy. Good morning, church. Glad to see everybody here today. My name is Pastor Joey. For those of you who are new, I just want to say welcome. Again, like Jason said, we believe everyone matters to God, so you matter, and hopefully you feel that this morning with us in this place today. We are going to continue in our series, Fight for Your Life, the series that we began teaching on spiritual warfare, unpacking the reality that each and every one of us, every second of the day, is caught up in a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. And that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against the people that rub us the wrong way. We're not fighting against that boss that just won't leave us alone or let us do our job without trying to humiliate us. We're not fighting against uh, the annoyances of our spouses and the irritations of our children. We're not even fighting against the, the other political parties and people in the news and media that would stand against the things that we would hold dear. No, we are fighting against spiritual reality against the spiritual forces set up by the kingdom of Satan. They are oppressing us. They are coming against us in every way to thwart the plan of God to redeem the world and to bring about that good and abundant life in our lives, the life Jesus came to provide us. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly, life overflowing, a life of blessing. That's what God desires for his people. And the enemy gets in the way of that because his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're caught in the middle of that war each and every day. And today we're continuing our teaching on this subject of spiritual warfare. We're going to continue to lay the groundwork for how to live a victorious life in this life. Sometimes it feels like that's an impossibility, that we just wake up to struggle after struggle. But I know that through this series and, and through the studying that, that I've been doing, that my own life has been impacted by this subject. Now, my wife and I, we're, we're, we're growing in ways that uh, we never knew we could. God is revealing things to us. It's just been an impactful series on our lives. And so I hope it's been the same for you all. And I, I just encourage you today to lean in today. Don't check out. To lean in, because I believe God is going to reveal some things to you. I believe that when we gather in the name of Christ, when the word of God is opened and declared, God works and God moves. So if you're feeling resistant today, take a second and pray and ask the spirit of God to open your heart and your mind to what God has for you. Ask him to open your ears that you can listen and hear 
and ask him to control your will so that you can respond to what God wants to do in your life today. Because today we're going to talk about kind of a mysterious and somewhat spooky subject today. We're going to be talking about curses. Somebody say curses. We're going to talk about curses. Now, I know when I think of curses, the first thing that pops into my mind is a, a very famous line from the, the play Macbeth, double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, right? We think of witches and a brews and pots and bubbling up. We think of Halloween and all the mysterious and crazy things we see in all the horror films that we shouldn't have watched over the course of our lives. This is the things we think about. But curses are, are what we're talking about today. I also think about in, uh, in cartoons and, and even some of the old-timey shows where you really had good guys and bad guys. Today, it's kind of hard to tell which is which. But uh, when you had good guys and bad guys in those old cartoons and the bad guys got stopped or their plans were thwarted, what would they say? They would say, curses foiled again, right? Kind of adding some levity and humor to the situation. So in this day and age, as we look at the term curses, we can either go extreme and think about witches and brews and cauldrons and bubbles, or we can think the humorous, all in all, that kind of makes us check out when it comes to this subject. It kind of gives us some resistance. It maybe makes us think about this stuff is just kind of superstitious or isn't really a reality. It's just something fun to think about. But the truth is, the Word of God reveals much about curses. Matter of fact, upwards around of 160 times in any un given uncertain terms, the Bible talks about curses, literal curses. And today we're going to introduce kind of this idea, this understanding of what curses are. And then next week we're going to kind of talk in more detail about the kinds of curses that we come up against. Some of the things that we see in Scripture that you might be fighting today that you have no idea you've been wrestling with. You see, a curse can simply be defined as this, as a negative force unleashed into motion. That's all it is. It's a negative force. It comes against you for negative means or negative purposes. It's not a blessing. It's not something that brings good in your life. It's something that brings hardship, struggle, dysfunction, disorder. That is a curse. And last week, we talked about the economy of God, how God within the universe created certain laws, not just physical laws that, that govern matter and gravity and the way the world operates, but he also created spiritual laws that work within the context of his universe. And last week, we really hammered down that idea of sowing and reaping, that there's this universal truth, this universal law, that whatever you sow, you are going to reap. That basically for every sin or transgression, every mistake, every time we don't measure up to the standard of God, every time we sin against God or others or mankind, there is an equal consequence that is set into motion because of the authority of the law of God. God has set this up in his economy that according to his law, when we sin, when we transgress, when, when we make mistakes, that are against the very nature and law of God, a negative force is unleashed into motion. And a curse can be identified in our lives if we would just take a minute to, to look at our lives and look at the circumstances or tendencies that we continually press up against, these things that prohibit us to enjoy the blessings of God. Think about things in your life that have continually trip you up or hold you back from the goals and plans that you have set 
forth for yourself. Think about things that propel you in a direction that you don't want to go for what seems to be no apparent reason at all. Such things as generational dysfunctions. You can look over the course of your life and see, man, not only do I struggle with this, but maybe my parents struggled with it, my grandparents struggled with it, and so on. You know, I'll give you a couple examples. Or an example here, maybe you're a highly educated and skilled. You've been well-trained, you've got degrees, you, you're very skilled, you're very good at what you do, and every time you start work, you get some measure of success. But once you reach a certain level, something happens to derail that success, forcing you to start over time and time again for no apparent reason. Maybe you get laid off. Maybe you start your own business and then economy goes bad and things shut down. Or maybe you're going into business with a relative or a friend and they betray you. Whatever the case is, that every time you kind of reach that point where you're like, all right, now's my time, something happens and it causes you to have to start over. Cursed to be a habitual failure. Or maybe you're single and you have no problem finding a date. You look in the mirror and be like, yeah, that's right. I look good. You know, you have got no problem finding a date. You find a boyfriend or girlfriend. But when things begin to get serious, you do something to either push them away or ruin the relationship. Time after time after time. And you wonder, what keeps happening? Why do my relationships always end in dysfunction? Why do I always do something to screw them up, to be cursed to be habitually single and lonely. There are some things that we will continually battle with or we continually battle with that just don't seem to add up, things we can't get a handle on. Some things that uh, we may even have noticed that have been traditional or generational uh, issues in family members. You know, for whatever reason, your family just has this struggle, has this issue. And when you have these curses in operation in your life, especially generational things, we'll say stuff, we'll speak about our situation by saying things like, you know what, the same thing used to happen in my father's life. Or I remember my grandmother telling me a similar story of what happened in her life. You know, my family, and my mom is so funny. My wife and I joke around about this every once in a while because when we're talking to my mom about things, and usually it's about all the annoying things I do to my wife, you know, my wife, my mom will say something like, you got that from your father's side, or you got that from your my side. You know, and I know even in my own kids, whenever I'm yelling at them, I'll be like, Tony, get your child. You, know, you just kind of disown your kid, and you're like, that's your child. You know, they're taking after you right now, and she'll do the same thing to me. It's kind of funny, but we'll say these things because somehow we're actually mildly aware or vaguely aware that we've got these tendencies, these issues, these things that have kind of been passed down the line for no apparent reason or what seems to be no apparent reason. But see, curses are more than just personality traits. They are something deeper that seems to guide or influence your behavior, your choices, or even the outcomes of your situations. You could be doing everything right, but yet everything seems to go wrong. And sometimes, again, we're somewhat aware that these struggles exist, but we don't really know why, and so we kind of discount them or dismiss them or overlook them. These patterns of dysfunction can occur in many areas of our lives. They can happen in business personal relationships, especially marriage or your family, in your career, with your finances, or even your health. In all probability, whatever area it may be, the negative force pressing against you very well could be a curse in operation over your life, 
perhaps tracing back many generations. And this is what we call in Christendom or Christianity generational curses. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, God is relaying the law to Moses and he's like revealing what's going to happen if the people don't follow his laws and his decrees. And here's what Moses writes through uh, God speaks to Moses to write to the people. God says to the people, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon who? Children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Even in the third and fourth generations. Marinate on that for just a minute. I, the Lord, lay the sins of the parents upon their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren. God is speaking through Moses. He's revealing that there are consequences to sin that are far-reaching, farther that we have comprehension. Very well, the things your kids are struggling with might be a result of a sin you committed when you were a child. That's heavy. That's deep. A curse may have been opened in your great-grandparents' life. It might be the reason why you are struggling today to overcome problems in your own life. It is passed down through the generations until it is broken and lifted. Some examples of uh, the manifestation of curses uh, that is uh, offered through the Masterwork series on healing and deliverance by the Episcopos, one of the uh, works that I'm studying for the series, they include mental and or emotional breakdown, repeated or chronic sickness, especially if hereditary or without clear medical diagnosis, repeated miscarriages, children out of wedlock, and sometimes barrenness, sexual promiscuity, fornication, etc., Divorce and marriage breakdowns. Maybe you have a history of divorce in your family. Continual financial insufficiency, especially when it seems like you have enough money to go around. Being accident prone or a history of family suicides, early death or unnatural deaths. Generational weight problems. Many things that we just say, "Mm, that's just life. That's just the way it is. Very well could be curses on your life. Curses can also be identified through things such as stigmas of your family, uh, tendencies or repeating behaviors, or generational cycles of dysfunction like family mindsets. Maybe you're highly disorganized. Your house is a wreck, and you look at your mom's house, and their house was a wreck, and their mom's house, and their house was a wreck. Or maybe you have a hard time, uh, you know, uh, wrestling with certain issues. You get highly, highly anxious or high anxiety over different things. And you're very passionate about one political party or another or something uh, to effect that can be traced through the family line. There are things and mindsets within a family that can create dysfunction in your life. Very well could be the cause of curses. And the truth is, what we can see biblically is that curses are very real. And many times they are the root of the problems, the cycles that we face. And we will continually press up against these forces because number one, we don't know they're in operation. And number two, we don't know what to do about it. We don't know that they exist. 
And two, we don't know how to break free from the curse, even if we could identify it. This isn't something we normally talk about in the church. Go to any church, and I guarantee you, we're probably the only one today talking about curses. Here's how you can live the blessed life. Here's what Jesus did for you. Here's how you can make our church better. You know, but, ah, curses, Vertical Life Church, welcome. Right, this is what we're talking about today, because this is a real thing. And we believe you matter to God. And if you matter, and he desires a good, abundant, and blessed life for you, then we better know how to access that, how to live that, how to break free from the things Satan wants to keep us bound up in so that we can live victorious for Jesus Christ. Again, in John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have an abundant life. If Jesus thought it important enough to tell us that, then it must be something he wants for us pretty badly. There is a great blessing in store for God's people, people who trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who place him at the center of their lives as Lord and Savior. And this has always been the case. If we go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13, here's what God told Moses, or God said to the people through Moses. He said, if you listen to the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today and you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you will always be on top and never on the bottom. This was God's desire for the nation of Israel. And you might say, well, well, that that, that was a promise given to Israel. That's Old Testament. Okay, well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking to the church, he says, All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, has ascended to God for his glory. What he's saying is that the promises that Israel received, the promises of God for blessing, for good, guess what? They apply to the church because the church is grafted in through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have access, we have these promises given by God that the church is uh, receiving because of what Christ did for us on the cross. This promise to be the head and not the tail was not just for an ancient culture in an ancient time. It's for us today in the here and now through what Christ has done for us on the cross. We are in Christ, adopted into the family of God. We've been grafted in to his promises. So whatever situation you find yourself in, God's desire for in this abundant life is for you to rise to the top, to bless you so that you are honored, revered, and blessed. This is the abundant life. There's a common saying in our culture when, especially if someone is going through a difficult time, you might say, well, how how are you doing today, brother? Or how are you doing today, sister? And They'll say, well, under the circumstances, I'm, you know, doing okay. But if we look biblically at what God wants for his people, then as the children of God, we should never be under the circumstances. We should be over the circumstances. We should be trusting in the great victory and blessing of Almighty God, great confidence that God is who he said he is. And through our faith and through what we have in Christ, we should be always over the circumstances regardless of the situations we face even in the midst of great struggle. But just like Israel, we too get caught up in difficulties, trials, struggles, and spiritual strongholds. Because we step out too of God's will for our lives. We do this all the time. We're sinful people. And those actions, those sins that we commit against God and against others, create an equal reaction 
They open doors to the demonic and unleash curses upon us, curses that work against God's will for blessing and thwarts his plans to bring about a rich and satisfying life in our lives or within us. And the primary root cause of these curses is very simple. It's disobedience to God's word, living outside of his will. If you want to further study on the relationship between blessing and cursing and between uh, God's law and, and how this manifests, you can read Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. We're not going to go there today, but you can see the relationship between following God's word and being blessed and working against God's word or living outside of God's will and being cursed. But for some very common causes for curses in the Bible it, having to do with disobedience include, number one, idolatry. This is loving something more than you love God. This is worshiping something more than you love God. We see in the, in the Bible that idol worship or idolatry is synonymous with demonic spirits. There's a demonic spirit that's behind every idol. And in our day and age, in our culture, we don't fashion idols typically like we saw in the video of the tongs where they're actually bowing down to elephants and other objects like that. We don't see that much in our culture. But we do bow down to sports teams, to movie stars, to musicians, to clothing and fashion and the latest trends, we have things that we bow down to. Media, entertainment, technology. We have idols in our own lives. And the Word of God says there's a spiritual force behind every idol, which means when we worship things beyond God, we are literally worshiping the demonic forces and spirits that are at work in those forms of idolatry. It brings upon a curse. Number two is dishonoring your parents. We know in the Ten Commandments, God said, honor your father and mother. If you do so, your life will be blessed. You'll live a long life. Dishonoring your parents is a breaking of one of those commandments, specifically said to bring about a curse. Number three is uh, any type of sexual uh, uh, escapades or content outside of God's design for marriage. Anything from fornication, illicit sex, pornography, uh, anything outside of God's design brings about a curse. Number four is injustice to the weak or helpless. Uh, God, time and time again, to the nation of Israel, and even in the New Testament, talks about taking care of those that, have, uh, uh, that are weak, those speaking for those that have no voice, defending the fatherless and the widow, those that are helpless. And in our day and age, it could even mean fighting for those who can't fight for themselves, like in the cases of abortion. It brings a curse when you violate God's will and law. Number five, trusting in man over trusting in God. Jeremiah chapter 17, 5 and 6 talks about a curse pronounced over people that trust in men over God. Why? Because we are a creator, or we are creation, not creator. So people with atheistic mindsets or humanistic mindsets to believe men is, mankind is supreme, that, that we are the all end all, and that we need nothing else. Psalm says, a fool is said in his heart, there is no God. There's a curse pronounced on those who trust in man and not the Lord. Number six is perjury. Number seven is stealing. Number eight is stinginess with God and stealing from him. Uh, for an example, Malachi chapter three, God talks about a curse that's pronounced on the finances or resources of a person that doesn't tithe. You know, we don't talk a whole lot about tithing in the church because we believe a generous heart is more important than 10%. But in the word of God, God says, look, if you don't obey me even in the basics, then a curse is pronounced on your resources, in your finances. You struggling with money today? You struggling with 
paying the bills, first question I have to ask is, are you tithing? Are you tithing? Are you being obedient to God and finances and resources? If not, it could be a curse on your finances. See, many of us, we have opened curses up in our lives without even knowing it. And by doing so, we've doomed our children and future generations to suffer under these curses because of the sins in our own lives. And there are many biblical examples of this, of sins being passed down, of curses being passed down through the generations. I'll go over just a few of them with you. The first and most obvious example is with Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat the fruit. They did it anyways. And the curse of what was passed on to all of mankind? Sin and death. Every one of us, every day, wake up to the reality of a curse, an operation in our world. Adam's sin now makes all men sinners. Uh, Noah, you know, knowing the, the flood, the great, the great flood and the, the big boat, he had a son named Ham. After the flood was over and they landed on dry ground, Noah made a vineyard and he, I guess, was having some major emotional struggles because he got drunk and passed out. And Ham found him. And in the original language, it uh, kind of indicates that some type of sexual act was transpired between father and son. And because of that, Ham's son, Canaan, was cursed by Noah. Canaan received the curse from his father. Canaan was cursed to serve his brothers. And if you look through all of history, the descendants of Canaan have always been at odds and at war with the nation of Israel. Further down the bloodline, you have the principal cities of Canaan, such as Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that were cursed because of great wickedness and evil. Matter of fact, God destroyed them by fire because of their great wickedness. These are curses passed down the family line. Other examples, you have Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. He stepped out of God's will and he fathered a son in a sinful act with his wife's handmaid and had a son named Ishmael. And in this culture, the oldest son received the blessing and inheritance and became kind of the, the, the figurehead of the family when the father passed away. But because Abraham uh, stepped out of the side of God's will and God ended up giving him the promised son Isaac through his actual wife, and there was strife and tension in the family, Abraham robbed his oldest son of the opportunity of getting that blessing by kicking he and his mom to the curb and instead blessed Isaac. And because of this crime or sin against Ishmael, Isaac and his line received a curse. Abraham's second son and, and continual generations, his sons were robbed of their birthrights. Abraham forced favor uh, on his youngest son, Isaac, and therefore, the same happened through Isaac's line. Isaac had a son named Jacob. He had an older brother named Esau. Jacob was preferred over Esau. Uh, Jacob had a son named Benjamin, who was preferred over Reuben. Ephraim was the son of uh, Joseph, the youngest son of Joseph, and he was preferred over the oldest son of Manasseh. We can see the traits and the curses passed through that these sins and acts had a ripple effect through history. Jacob's story is actually really interesting. Jacob was the younger son. He wanted uh, the birthright. He wanted to be the figurehead. And so he swindled his brother out of that birthright by selling him a cup of soup when he was exhausted from a hunting trip. And so he swindled. And the birthright essentially said that I'm in charge and everyone else gets to serve me. Basically, he got to enslave his older brother by swindling him out of this birthright. 
But knowing his father wouldn't have gone for the plan, he also chose to deceive his father. He uh, added extra hair to his arms and did this whole thing to make his father think that he was actually his twin brother. His mom kind of helped him in the plan, and Jacob received the birthright blessing from Isaac before he died. Esau was so angry at what happened that he was threatening to kill Jacob, and Jacob fled. Jacob's deceptive plan caused his father, Isaac, to lose a son because Jacob could no longer live among the family. And if you look at Jacob's life, something very similar happened in Jacob's life. He had a prized son named Joseph. It was his favorite. And because of the jealousy of the other brothers over Joseph, they created a deceptive plan. They chose to kill Joseph, but instead of killing him, they ended up selling him into what? Slavery, right? Jacob wanted to enslave his older brother Esau, but now Joseph is being sold into slavery for uh, those sins. And Judah, the oldest son of Jacob, because it was his plan to sell him off into slavery, not only did jo- or was Jacob being paid back for the sins in his own life through what happened to Joseph, but Judah's sons also were compromised, and he had to worry about errors because of uh, the things, his activity within this whole situation. Jacob's son Judah brought the loss of Joseph to his father, causing his father to worry over another heir, and Judah suffered the loss of his own sons, worried in suspense over his heirs. Abraham and Isaac's life, uh, during the different stories, they both experienced trouble with herdsmen over arguments over wells, and even more striking is the recurring encounters that endangered their wives where they both had to lie in order to save face. Abraham and Isaac actually lied to the same king. Uh, Very similar things happening within their life. Jacob also had to lie on behalf of his wife. Some curses we can see through uh, events unfolding. Uh, We can see what appears to be hereditary emotional issues. In the case of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all had a fear or an anxiety that seemed to perplex them and affect their decision-making in different situations. We can see curses at work through paranoia, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, eating disorders, uncontrollable anger, pride, sexual temptations, lots of tendencies and sins through the course or over generations and through families. The lives of these men of old and their families were operating under curses that were unleashed through either something they did themselves or the sinful actions of someone within their own family line at some point in history. And they didn't even know it. They didn't know these curses were in operation. They just thought they were living their lives. And even though God forgives sin, and he reestablishes a right standing with him when we repent of those sins, it does not necessarily remove the consequences of sin because of the law of sowing and reaping. We can look at Moses, and we can see how he disobeyed God in the wilderness. And God forgave him, still blessed him, but he did not reestablish his uh, standing in the kingdom. He took his life before he was able to enter the promised land. Uh, God's forgiveness did not save David from the consequences of his sin. David raped and murdered Uh, He raped his best friend's wife and then had him murdered on the front lines. And later, his sons would also rape and murder and be men of war. We see that through that situation, David cursed himself uh, with a fourfold curse because of, you know, the testimony of Nathan. And in David's life, we see David lost four sons to sickness, murder, war, and the like. All throughout his life, we see these curses in operation. Curses are a very real thing. 
We live under the oppression of demonic forces by and large because these curses are open doors in our lives to them. And when it comes to generational curses, it's important that the important person to look at when identifying these curses and the source of these curses is to look at the source of the curse, which most likely is the father in the family. You've heard the phrase, sins of the father, right? Very common phrase. Well, it's a very important thing to keep in mind because it comes from this idea that because husbands have a unique place in the family. Paul in the New Testament refers to this as the head of the home. He's the figurehead. He's the leader. Uh, he has a, many roles within the family, a provider, protector, and pastor. He is the figurehead that God has set up as the authority in the home. And because of that, he has the ability to grant access to the family or to guard his family. He is the spokesman. He is the dignitary. He is the front lines of defense. If you look in the Old Testament, the story of Joshua. Joshua is confronted by the nation of Israel. He makes a very, very powerful statement. Matter of fact, many of you may have this on placards on your walls in your home. He said, as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How is he able to speak for his family? It's because he was the authority. He was the figurehead. He was the dignitary. Joshua declares that over his family. If we look at the very first recorded act of disobedience found in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, Satan was trying to rip up the very first family. And who did he go after? Did he go after Adam? No. Why? Because Adam would have fought him. God instilled in him that nature of pastor, protector, and provider. So who did he go after? He went after Eve. And he knew if he could get Eve tripped up, if he could mess with her and get her to stumble, it would be easy to get Adam because Adam loved her. And so he, uh, he lied to Eve. He twisted God's word. He got her through temptation to sin, and she in turn gave to her husband, and he received from her. And it wasn't until Adam sinned, we can see recorded in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, when Adam sinned, it is that point sin entered into the world. Eve sinned first, but that's not what brought sin into the world. It was Adam's sin that brought death. It was Adam's sin that caused death to spread to everyone because Adam was the head of the home. When Adam sinned, the curse of sin was unleashed, even though the woman sinned first. This is important because not only do husbands have authority over the family, but it reveals that we need to understand that the largest gateway to oppression in our lives, the largest gateway for the spiritual forces to attack us, to attack our families, is through the Father. It's through the sins of the Father. Because when husbands sin, it places a curse on the whole family. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. This is kind of a retelling of what we've already read in Exodus 34. Here God is speaking about not bowing down and worshiping other idols. And he kind of makes the same disclaimer as he did before in verse 5. He says, you must not bow down or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. That phrase, sins of the parents, is the word of in the original language. And that word of is defined or it is translated as the father of an individual. 
of, could be referred to as God as father of his people. It is the head or founder of a household, group, family, clan, or uh, ancestry. It is the father, the sins of the father. And it's true that both parent parental units can have an effect on their children because mothers also have a place of authority over their children, but there is a unique relationship between sins of the father and curses over the rest of the family. The father is the target. The father is the target. Because if the enemy can get him, he has full reign and access to the rest of the family. Which is why when we look at sociology and statistics, sociologists will tell us that in a home where a father is either absent, means he's there but not really there, or maybe there's no father at all, that children in the home are exponentially cursed to demonstrate antisocial behavior, depression, and even suicide. The father is the gateway. When the father sins, the father unleashes a curse upon their wives, upon their children, their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, etc. It's important as men that we guard our hearts because as we guard our hearts, we're really guarding our families. We're guarding our children. We're guarding our legacy. Now, the teaching on curses isn't all doom and gloom. I know it can seem like, man, if this is how it works, if this is the economy of God, how could we ever have that rich and abundant life? It's not all doom and gloom because even though God is just, he has pronounced that sin must be judged. He has ordained that we will reap what we sow in his kingdom economy. He is also merciful. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, God says, don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Our God has designed the kingdom to function and work according to his nature and his will, but God would rather not punish you, but bless you. And within his kingdom, he made a move in history that would satisfy his wrath against our sins and pave the way to set us free from the curses pronounced by the law. We read this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. This is our key verse today. This is something we need to get deep in our hearts and understand this with our whole being. In verse 13, it says, Christ has rescued us. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus didn't just die so we could be saved. He died to pave the way to the abundant life. He took the curses upon himself so that through his blood, through his death, those curses could be broken in our lives. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 Paul says, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The work of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross was more than just a story to tell at Easter. It was the day 
everything changed. It was the day we were given the ability to be set free, to take a hold of the power of God and unleash it in our lives, to begin working against sin and the curses that have been wrought against us by the enemy. The shedding of Christ's blood is so important because not only through his blood can there be forgiveness and reconciliation, but by his blood, peace again can be restored in our lives. If you're a follower of Christ, you've made that choice to place your faith and trust in him. You've said, God, I'm all yours, and I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You have been purchased by his blood. You have been cleansed by his blood. And when you are saved through his blood, you are given the right to break curses in your life. But when we turn from God and we willfully sin, the fellowship we have with God is broken. And the enemy is given a license to move into our lives and influence our lives and beginning to dominate our lives through the operation of a curse in our lives. Ask yourself this question. Have you ever felt like God was distant? Like not listening? You're going through something and you're praying and you just don't feel like your prayers are going past a foot from your face. He's not there. Have you ever felt so weak because of the sins that you're struggling with, because of these deep issues, that you feel like God has just left you and abandoned you to feel or be defenseless? I have. And we know he hasn't left us. Read many scriptures that say he'll never leave us or forsake us. But we yet we feel this way. Why? Because our fellowship with God, that connection we have with his spirit is broken. It's lost because of the unrepentant sins in our lives, leading us to feel weak. We invite demons to come in and torment us making us hear more his voices, more the negativity, you're not good enough, you can't do that, you'll never succeed, you'll never overcome, you'll never be healed, you'll never fill in the blank. We hear more of the voices of the enemy than we do the voices of God. We need that connection with God. And the question is, how do we restore that? When he's distant, when he feels far away, when our fellowship's been broken because sin's in our lives and rebellion that's been in our lives, how do we restore that relationship with God and break those curses that have been cast over us? How do we do that? Well, God tells us in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 12 through 15. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, Son of man, give your people this message. The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they turn to sin, nor will the wicked behavior of wicked people destroy them if they repent and turn from their sins. When I tell righteous people that they will live, but then they sin, expecting their past righteousness to save them, then none of their righteous acts will be remembered. I will destroy them for their sins. And suppose I tell some wicked people that they will surely die, but then they turn from their sins and do what is just and right. For instance, they might give back a debtor's security, return what they've stolen, obey my life-giving laws, no longer doing what is evil. If they do this, then they will surely live and not die. God is saying that, when we sin, when we step out of God's will, there's a curse pronounced on us. And unless that curse is broken, we will suffer under the penalty of that curse. 
but yet you do not have to suffer under the curses that you've unleashed in your life. God is merciful and compassionate, full of unfailing love. If you want to break the curses in your life and reestablish communion and connection with God, the first and most important thing you have to do is stop living out of agreement with the Word of God. You have to repent of your sins. For the curse to lose its power, repentance must come. That means turning away, stopping what you've been doing, and begin doing what God desires for you to do. Through repentance of your sin, the curse will lose its power. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we appropriate the blood of Christ over our lives which was poured out to break the curses pronounced by the law, we then unleash the authority of the word of God and the power of his Holy Spirit to break us free from the curses that we have been enslaved by. And you might say, Pastor Joey, what about those generational things? What about the things I didn't open but maybe are operating in my life because of a family member? That it's not my fault that it's there, but it, I can see this through my generations that this has been something that has been plaguing my family over and over again. How do I stop those cycles of brokenness if, I, if I'm not the one that did that? Well, God tells us about that as well in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 10 through 20. It says, suppose a man has a son who grows up to be a robber or murderer and refuses to do what is right. And that son does all the evil things his father would never do. He worships idols on the mountains, commits adultery, oppresses the poor and helpless, steals from debtors by refusing to let them redeem their security. He worships idols, commits detestable sins, and lends money at excessive interest. Should such a sinful person live? No, he must die and he must take full blame. But suppose that sinful son, in turn, has a son who sees the father's wickedness and decides against that kind of life. This son refuses to worship idols on the mountains and does not commit adultery. He does not exploit the poor, but instead is fair to debtors and does not rob them. He gives food to the hungry and provides clothes for the needy. He helps the poor. He does not lend money at interest and obeys all my regulations and decrees. Such a person will not die because of the, his father's sins. He will surely live. But the father will die for his many sins, for being cruel, robbing people, and doing what was clearly wrong among his people. What, you ask? Doesn't the child pay for the parent's sins? No. For if the child does what is just and right, keeps my decrees, that child will surely live. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for their parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. God is merciful and compassionate and full of unfailing love. And if you see these curses passed down through the generations, you see these tendencies and choose to do what is right before God, to not follow in the path of your ancestors' sins, but follow the pathways of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God will not allow the curse to fall on you. But if you follow in the footsteps of your generations, you continue those tendencies, patterns, and pathways, the curse will continue to pass down through your family line. And maybe you're here today and you realize that you've been operating under some curses. Your family has been operating under some curses. Maybe as a father here, you realize you've been the gateway. You've been that open door. 
and you want to break free from those curses today. You realize you've fallen into the trap and you've continued those broken cycles of your ancestors. Then today, the word of God is clear. You need to, one, repent of your own sins. You need to choose today. God, no more. I come humbly before you and I determine in my heart, I will not live like that anymore. I come before you. Forgive me. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then number two, you need to repent on the behalf of your ancestors. They may be long gone or they may not be in a place where they can hear from God, but you need to get on your knees and on your face before God and say, God, break the curse over my generations through the blood and name of Jesus. Repent of their sins. Call it out. If you read in Daniel chapter 9, verses 3.13, you see how Daniel pleaded to God on behalf of the sins of the nation. He called out the generational curses and sins that had been plaguing their people, calling out everything God had been judging them for and saying, God, forgive us. God, forgive my forefathers. God, forgive my parents. Forgive my grandparents. Forgive those that have sinned against you. Forgive the generations of atheists and those that have trusted in man. Forgive the generations of of pedophiles and homosexuals and adulterers and fornicators. Forgive the drunkards. Forgive the drug addicts. Forgive all of those who have come before that have sinned against your name. I put an end to it now in the name of Jesus. I declare freedom through the blood of Christ. That curse is broken here and now. I will stand up for my family. I will stand up for my God, and I will say no more. I turn from my sin, and I trust in Jesus. There will not be another divorced family in my home. There will not be another abused child. There will not be another neglected soul. We will not go on being prideful, forgetting about the helpless and the weak. We will not think ourselves to be better than someone else. We will not look down our noses at people who we feel like are not as good as we are. We will give ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And serve God. Satan. You have no more hold on me. You have no hold on my children. I'm serving the Lord. What cycles of dysfunction do you see in your life? What tendencies do you see that you're passing down to the next generation? Maybe you're a mother or a father or a grandparent today, what is manifesting in your life? You can see going down the line. This is more than just my relationship with God. This is about the legacy of our family name. This is about the church of Jesus Christ. What issues and habits are you continually beating your head against that you've not been able to overcome? These very well may be the indicators of a curse operating in your life. And today can be the day you break free. If you believe you're operating under the curse, today you feel like the tail and not the head. In just a moment, when the band begins to sing, and I invite us all to stand, flood this front row. Get on your face before God.
Call out to the name of Jesus. Plead the blood of Christ over your life and over your families and over your generations. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the sins in your life, in the lives of your family, and repent. Fathers, you are the gateway to your family. If you don't take your family's spiritual condition seriously, if you don't take your spiritual condition seriously, then the enemy continues to make your home his playground. Your brokenness creates their brokenness. And God holds you responsible. He held Adam responsible for the sins of the world. How would God not hold you responsible for the sins of your very own family? You want the curses lifted off your spouse? You want the curses lifted off your children? Then you need to repent. I need to repent. We need to declare with our mouths, with our hearts, with our whole being, there will be no transference of evil to any future generation. The enemy loses. Jesus wins today and forever. Single moms, you too, go to war for your families. Those of you that are married to a husband who does not believe in the Lord, get on your knees and plead the blood of Christ over his life. Command the spirits in your home to release his will in his mind that he might be able to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. This is a war. This is not a message. This is a war. This is a battle. And the church needs to rise up and stand its ground. I leave you with this. In Psalm 103, verse 17. This is the heart's cry. This is the banner that should fly over every one of our families. The psalmist says, But the love of the Lord remains forever with those that fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children. His salvation extends to the children's children. Oh God, may it be that the righteousness of my family extends to every future generation. And may the righteousness of every family here today extend to the future generations. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for those words, those four beautiful words. It is finished. Forever it is finished. You cried out. Those beautiful words, and those words declare to us today, they ring true to us that it could be finished today. Those curses can be broken and finished. And I just unleash the Holy Spirit in this place. Let your church respond. Let there be no pretense. Let repentance fill the space of this room and let your glory be revealed in every heart and every mind. We just praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together. You respond as the Lord has leading on your heart. I'll be down here to pray with you if you would like prayer. But let's break the chains of our families today in the name of Jesus.